City. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. We are so grateful for you and your role in your families and for everything you do for them. And we're so glad for the rest of you being here joining us online. I know that is a phrase you're probably getting tired of hearing, but it's true. I'm really glad every time I go on Facebook and watch the services on Sunday and can at least see your pictures and uh, read your comments and see that we're interacting together and listening to the services together. So welcome to service. It's been interesting to go through the book of James during the year 2020 because 2020 has presented a total upheaval of our plans and predictions. As a church, we were forced to scrap many of the ideas we had in mind for this year and just throw them away, basically. We had to be very flexible in what we are planning. And it's been confusing and frustrating. Yet we also know as a community that there has been so much growth and uh, so much that has happened in each of you individually during this time that has been for good. And the people who were receiving the letter of James were in a very similar situation. If you remember back to the first week when we covered background information, we talked about how the majority of this Christian community were likely Jewish background believers who were forced to flee Jerusalem because of persecution or because of starvation and famine. And they scattered to the more rural areas around Jerusalem and became migrant workers on the land of wealthy men who ended up taking advantage of them. This would have meant total upheaval of their plans. It meant loss of home. It meant taking on a brand new normal, as we've started saying, as they struggled just to survive physically and spiritually. Uh, it, it's starting to sound a little familiar then. You know why it's so interesting that we're going through James right now. James writes them to encourage and exhort to keep on in their life of following Jesus. He instructs them about what their lives should look like in the midst of suffering and persecution as they follow Jesus and grow as disciples. And we've found that his words are so applicable to our lives today and that we, in the midst of our own upheaval, are not called to completely change our goals and our vision, but to actually hold on to what is most important and to follow and obey Jesus. We keep talking about a new normal, but for Christians, for followers of Jesus, none of this is new. The first disciples uh, dealt with infighting and ethnic strife, persecution from authorities, and much more. Augustine in Africa and others from the patristic age dealt with the fall of the Roman Empire and invasion of barbarians. Early monastics had to suffer the danger of the unprotected road and the uncertainty of raids from violent European tribes. And missionaries across the centuries from Ireland to Japan have had to decipher how best to share the good news of Jesus in pluralistic societies, all while dealing with different plagues, I might add. Black slave pastors in the Deep South had to combat the lies of white slave owners who used the Bible to falsely support the vile trade of people from Africa. 
German Christians of the Confessing Church faced arrest and concentration camps for their dissent towards Hitler and the fascist government, and Christians of all stripes in the modern age have had to re-examine their idolatry of political figures and national pride, remembering our allegiance is not to a flag or a particular country or leader, but to God alone. <laughs> All that to say, we are standing in a long line of men and women stretching back thousands of years who have dealt with upheaval and uncertainty. Yet the church remains, the gospel remains, our hope remains, the God of the universe remains, and our call to follow Jesus will always remain the same. With that in mind, let's read our scripture for today, James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. James continues to hit hard as he wraps up his letter. He has just given his most impassioned prophetic warning in the first part of chapter 5 to those same landowners who are taking advantage of the Christian community. It may be that those landowners never actually heard James's fiery words because we're not really given any indication that they were part of the community. But those words still serve as a warning to us, like John talked about last week. Rather, for the original hearers, those prophetic words uh, would have served as an encouragement to the community that was being oppressed, that God saw them and the injustice they were going through. Now, in this section, James addresses the believing community again, designated by that important title, Brothers and Sisters. And his primary command for them as he finishes his letter is to be patient. Here, the Greek verb gives the idea of bearing with a situation or provocation, holding out steadfastly and peacefully. This relates to the idea we've seen all through the book of James about steadfast endurance. This would be difficult for them by all accounts being oppressed, um, being in poverty, suffering social ostracism, insult, and injustice. Of course, patience and endurance isn't really a topic we like talking about in our culture either. We can't go five minutes in a drive-through line without getting impatient or, you know, 10 minutes on a call with uh, someone helping us with IT or even 20 minutes to get our food delivered. 
Some of you might remember the age of dial-up internet and that sort of thrill you'd get when you finally heard it connecting. And nowadays, if the Wi-Fi is out for two minutes, we think we've reverted to the dark ages. So not much patience there. Of course, these are more lighthearted examples than what the people James is writing to went through. But if we look past that surface level veneer of kind of pop culture references, we can find impatience rooted deeply in our culture in a painful way. Current events have highlighted how lacking in endurance the church is for work on real racial reconciliation, satisfied instead to assume either that it's all been taken care of in the past and we don't need to talk about it anymore, or that somehow a trending hashtag and surface level apologies are gonna do the trick. It was actually not to civic leaders, but rather local pastors that MLK Jr. addressed his famous letter to, from a Birmingham jail writing, so here we are moving toward the exit of the 20th century with a religious community largely adjusted to the status quo, standing as a taillight behind community agencies rather than a headlight leading men to higher levels of justice. And unfortunately, the church has not taken up much of a leadership role on that issue since. In a different arena, we see a lack of patient and enduring work by looking at statistics on the need for, uh, for foster parents in our state. Did you know, given the number of churches in Colorado, that even if just every church supported one family from their congregation in taking in one child, that we would completely eradicate the foster care system? What's holding us back? Well, I don't think we have the patience for it, the endurance to address this issue. And yet, taking care of orphans is one thing that James labels as true religion in chapter one. Of course, we can find more examples of impatience in ourselves. Maybe it's the way we react to family members. I know I have a tendency to get annoyed with certain people really quickly. And it could be just about our hurried lifestyle and how we can't sit in traffic for more than two minutes without freaking out. It could be about our cultural value on the dream of making it big without actually putting any work in. All this makes it clear why James's words on patience are so important for us today as well. James is addressing patience as the frame for his final exhortation to the church at the end of his letter. And so it's apparent that this attitude of patient endurance is somehow key to living the life of a disciple. So the big question we're left is, why be patient? Why practice patience? I mean, what is the point if oppressors keep oppressing, humanity remains broken, Facebook is still a strange hellhole, and some prayers never seem to be answered? James answers the question of why be patient with two illustrations. The first is of a farmer patiently waiting for the rains to come in season so that they can feed and relieve the crops. 
And he says, like those rains, the coming of the Lord will also be just at the right time. The prophets and Job are the second illustration he uses of patient perseverance because they continued even when they were reviled and questioned and lied about, and they became examples of God's loving kindness and mercy and fulfillment of promises. But there is a key phrase here that we usually jump over. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Why be patient? Because the Lord is coming. Because the Lord's coming is near. Because the judge stands at the door, James says. Since the beginning of the church and through the ages, the hope of patient endurance isn't just that it somehow refines our souls and makes us better people, though that is true in some sense. Actually, we can have hope and be patient because we are guaranteed a final result. Disciples of Jesus can be patient and endure because we are enduring for something. The kingdom is even now breaking in through the church. Jesus will return. This brokenness is not the end and there will be full restoration of the world. Now, we don't really have time to get into all the misconceptions that the church has promoted in some ways about eschatology and end time studies, but uh, suffice to say, left behind is not the best resource for understanding the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was a day when Israel's enemies would receive judgment. And it was also a day of reckoning for Israel itself. It was a day of judgment, but also a day of fulfillment when all God's promises about bringing nations to himself would be fulfilled. In the New Testament, this idea is expanded on even further. And I want to look briefly at three parables from Matthew chapter 25 that talk about the day of the Lord to help us understand how this links with the topic of patience. It's relevant here to summarize what Jesus said, but you can find the full uh, version of all of these in Matthew chapter 25. First is the parable of the 10 virgins. 10 women waiting for the traditional procession with the bridegroom before the wedding feast. And they are used to exemplify the wise and the foolish. The wise ones stay awake and prepare extra oil for their lamps so they can wait for the bridegroom, while the foolish ones don't bring extra oil and are ultimately left outside of the celebration, told that the Lord doesn't know them. And it ends with Jesus' exhortation to keep watch because no one knows the day or the hour when the day of the Lord will happen. Second is the parable of the bags of gold. Three servants are entrusted by their master with different amounts of gold. Two of them invest it wisely and make double the amount they were entrusted with, while one buries his gift, not even looking to a bank to accrue interest. When the master returns, the two wise servants are applauded for their efforts and rewarded, and the last one is called foolish and thrown into the darkness. 
Lastly, there's the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus explicitly says here that this takes place on the day when the Son of Man comes and says that he will divide people into two groups. The righteous judged by the kindnesses that they have shown to the vulnerable and the unrighteous who notably still call him Lord judged by the kindnesses they have not shown to the least of these. So what does James mean when he argues that believers can be patient because the day of the Lord is near? Well, first of all, he means that the oppressed, like the audience he wrote to, with no particular ability to seek justice on their own, no legal system through which they could do that, could actually practice patience and endurance because God will ultimately judge the oppressed. He will judge those who, like the goats, take advantage of the vulnerable and do not do right by them, even abusing his name in that process. And in the same way, he will judge us for how we have ignored the least of these and decide their cause isn't really worthy of our patient endurance. That's pretty heavy stuff. On the other side, we also see that we can practice patience because as followers of Jesus, we will be judged by how we emulate him. James encourages the community not to grumble against one another, to persevere because of God's loving kindness, and in verse 12, to obey Jesus's command to speak simple, trustworthy words. So because of the day of the Lord, continued faithfulness is required. Otherwise, like the foolish maidens, Jesus warns we might find ourselves left outside the door. Or like the foolish servant, we might be judged for our lack of use of the gifts he's given us and left in the darkness. So, the do so though the day of the Lord may be in the future, it's actually our todays, these parables say that determine whether we can patiently endure. Because even now, his kingdom is breaking through. Even now, he is answering the cry of the oppressed through those who actually follow him. Even now, he's actively listening to your prayers, to the prayers of the heartbroken and the ones who feel like they've been waiting forever for an answer. He is working through his church in so many ways and so many of you to be a light in this world. And he says, be patient, be patient. Your answer is coming. You know, patience isn't a passive attitude. It is determined. I introduced the phrase at the beginning of this series on James of militant patience. And that's what James encourages, that we have to be patient actively. And as we've learned, this patience is based on the witness, the life of Jesus. He is the one who, like the author of Hebrews wrote, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did this for the ultimate good of offering us a way back into relationship with him, a way of forgiveness, a way out of the brokenness of our hearts and our world. The real question is, 
Do we take Jesus and James seriously? Do we really believe that God hears our cries? Do we believe there will be a day when the oppressor is judged, when our patience is rewarded, and where the world is remade? In light of that day, are we willing to sacrifice comfort to practice patience? Are we willing to sacrifice our desires to endure? The world often answers the question of patient endurance in a different way. There's no need to sacrifice anything. After all, the whole point of life is to find things that make you happy. Self-fulfillment is the way to go. So we don't need to be patient. We only have to look at our prevalent sexual ethics to see that that's the case. Alternatively, the world might also say we can devalue people and ignore patients in that way. We don't need to be patients with them because them, whoever they are, aren't worthy of our time or efforts or conversation. I don't need negativity in my life, we say sometimes. But really, what we're showing is a lack of ability to engage people patiently, to stand firm for the truth, but to show love. Ironically, the church does the same thing. We often insulate ourselves from people who wouldn't agree with us and pretend that we're patient with our lives and act like not causing a fuss is real peacemaking. We have little depth of conversation with suffering people. We move full tilt into lifelong plans that we don't ask God anything about. We don't take on the hard work of justice that requires years and years of enduring unapplauded effort. And in all of this, if people have differing views or they're just too annoying or something takes too much work, even as the church, we give up maybe thinking, well, you know, it's all going to burn anyway. Yet in Jesus' parables, the patient and faithful virgins waited with extra oil. The servants invested their gifts. The sheep fed and clothed the poor and imprisoned. They did not know when the Lord would return. And they didn't give up or sit around trying to map up and map out when that day would be. Because they practiced patience and followed Jesus. Again, James asks, or at least forces us to ask those two questions. Are we willing to sacrifice comfort to practice patience? And are we willing to sacrifice, uh, sacrifice our desires to endure in our faith? Giving up any idea of what the good life may be or what we want it to be. And instead taking up our crosses to follow him. Because there was one who sacrificed it all. Leaving the comfort of heaven. One who was patient with the belligerent, uh, the belligerent crowds who didn't believe in him, who sacrificed himself completely and utterly for our sakes. His name is Jesus. May we grow to be more and more like him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for every person who is watching this sermon. 
Lord, for every person who's gathered with family or friends or sitting alone in a car or, you know, not sure why they turned it on this morning, but are here. We thank you for them, Lord, and pray that you would speak to their hearts through your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the work you have done in the past and are continuing to do through faithful followers of Jesus. We thank you that you give us the power to follow you through your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would fill the people of Hill City with your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us again and again, that you would help us to be renewed, that this time would not be wasted, but instead that we would grow in relationship with you, that we would grow in patience, and that we would grow in endurance as we seek to follow you and obey you. Lord, I pray for anyone who's feeling a particular urge on their heart right now, that they would not wait any longer, that they'd even pause this video to do what you're asking them to do. Lord, I pray that we would all be willing to surrender our lives to follow you, to seek justice, to love mercy, and to show your love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.